Did you guys read this week? Did you guys read Nehemiah this week? Nehemiah was, it was awesome. It was awesome this week. And so last week, Jeremy started off and he started, he read Nehemiah 1. And then we went through Nehemiah 1 through 6 the first week and then Jeremy preached on it. And then we finished up 7 through 13 this week. And we finished a book in two weeks, which is awesome. Because next year we're going to be doing Psalms. We're going to be in Psalms for six stinking months. Okay? So, hey, getting a book done in two weeks is awesome. And then we're, then we're going to start Esther next week. And that'll take us two weeks and we'll get that done. And we're, we're zooming through the Bible. And, you know, Nehemiah is one of those books that we don't, we don't read a lot of. But there's so much great stuff. And Jeremy hit on it last week. There's... Nehemiah is just this lay guy, he, layman, not, not a lay guy, but a, he's a layman, but he's just a regular Joe, okay, who was brought up, probably born in captivity, and he proves himself so much so that he is the confidant of the king of Persia. I mean, you've got to have confidence in your cupbearer. I mean, you know, hey... And then you die, well, then you probably shouldn't drink it. But he was that guy. He was an upstanding guy. And he gets this vision, and he goes and he rebuilds the walls in Jerusalem. And so today we're going to do, since the 13th, we're going to do Nehemiah 13. We're going to read all 30 verses today. So you're going to have... Another day where you've read through a whole chapter in the Bible. So, get your phones out, get your books out, get your PDFs out. Or, I don't know, get your Bibles out? Wow, what a novel idea. And let's read through it together. Because there's, there's so much in here. That, but it's really important that we get this today. Before we launch in because basically if if you didn't hear my sermon a few weeks ago Esther is already done and so chronologically Nehemiah is it before we get to the New Testament that's it it goes dark for the intertestimonial period and then we have John in the wilderness saying hey let me tell you about Jesus so there's the space here. So this is kind of important. Where does this end? So let's read Nehemiah 13. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God. Because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water. But hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. Verse 4. Now before this, Eliashib the priest having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God was allied with Tobiah. And he had prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offering, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and gatekeepers and the offerings for the priests. But during all this, 
I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. Then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms, and I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. Verse 10, I also realized that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, for each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. So I contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil of the storehouse. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouse Shelemiah, the priest, and Zadok, the scribe, and of the Levites, Padiah. And next to them was Hannah, Hanan, and the son of of Zakur, and the son of Mataniah. For they were considered faithful, and their task was to distribute to their brethren. Remember me, O God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its services. In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine and grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens which they had brought in Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also, who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. And then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do this? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. 19. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must not be opened till after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. And then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night around the wall if you do so again? I will lay hands on you. And from that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. Verse 23. In those days I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them, struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons and not take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all of Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin 
Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? And one of the sons of Joida, the son of Elishib, the high priest, was a son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite. Therefore I drove him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleanse them of everything pagan. I also assign duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his service, and to bringing the wood offering and the first fruits at appointed times. Remember me, O my God, for good. Wow, there's, there's a lot there, and some of it's kind of confusing. I'd like to break some of that down for you. So at the beginning of chapter 13, which is kind of an extension of chapter 12 remember Nehemiah has come and he, they've built the wall in 55 days and then he, he starts bringing people into Jerusalem to live and then Ezra shows up and Ezra breaks out reading the law before people and people are cut to the quick and they're like what we're not we're not doing what the Lord tells us to do and they, they realize hey there's a feast coming up we should do the feast of tabernacles and they, they start doing that and Nehemiah tells the people, okay, you're going to have to make an oath before God that you're going to obey the law of God, of Yahweh. And they do. They say, we'll do it. This is, this is good stuff. And part of Nehemiah, he gets them to write their names down. Who said, I will follow the Lord? All that's happening. Things are looking good. And so Nehemiah decides to go visit the king in Susa, or Sushan, depending on your Bible reading or which version you're reading. Things are looking good. So maybe there's a convention of governors. Nehemiah is the governor of this area. The king has appointed him to be the governor. That's why he has some authority. Okay? And Sanballat is the governor of of the king to the north in Samaria. Okay, so we're talking about governmental political leaders. And Nehemiah has been put in that position. So maybe there's a call for all the governors. They all go back to, to Persia to get together. And so for, for an extended period of time, Nehemiah has gone away. And he's left everything in really good condition. We have a revival breaking out. We have the temple being taken care of. The Levites have been given all of their positions back to serving the temple from, and receiving the gifts and making sure the Levites are taken care of because their job is to take care of the temple. And so they can't be out there working their own land and having to have a job. They are, in fact, their job is to take care of the temple. And they all have assigned, depending on their birth, they're assigned different things. And Nehemiah has made all of this happen. And they do it by the blueprint of the law of God and Ezra explaining everything. And he goes, okay, things are in good order. Let's go off to Persia. Let's go back and check, on, check in with the king. And he's gone for an extended period of time. It's taken... Nehemiah, about 12 years to get everything in order. So he's the governor for 12 years, and then he goes back. 
We don't know how long. But somewhere between verse 3 and verse 4 of chapter 13, Nehemiah goes and he's gone. And things are looking well. He says, hey, let me go check on Jerusalem. King, can I go back again to Jerusalem? King says, go. Did a good job as governor the first time. Go back and be governor again. And so Nehemiah comes back. And what did he find? <laughs> oh my gosh. He, he, he goes back and everything that he put in order... Everything that the, many of the people wrote down their name and said, we will do these things. Look in verse 10. I mean, chapter 10. Chapter 10, they said, we will do this. And everything that they said that they would do, they're not doing. Especially the big four. Okay, the big four things. Number one, he comes back. And Tobiah is living in Jerusalem. In fact, not just Jerusalem. They've moved a whole storeroom full of stuff in the temple that are given by people. They move it out and they move Tobiah in. He's got his own apartment in the temple. That does seem like a big deal to you. Okay. Okay, let me tell you why it's a big deal. First of all, Tobiah is Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the enemies of Nehemiah during the building of the wall who said, you shouldn't do it. And they sent letters to Artaxerxes that caused all this trouble. You need to stop. Oh, wait, are you going to make yourself king? They opposed him every single way. In fact, they even threatened him. In fact, they said, hey, why don't you come meet us over here so we can assassinate you? It's that Tobiah. He's moved into the temple of, of God. And even more so, Tobiah is an Ammonite. One of the very groups of people that God said they cannot come because they were, you were rejected when Israel was going through the wilderness they're relatives of yours, but they refuse to help you. And so they cannot come in. It's, he's living in the temple. That's, that's crazy. How did this happen? Well, Nehemiah was gone. It's like, well, well if, you, if you want something done, you've got to do it yourself. He goes away and they, they feel like, okay, he's not here. So, hey, we can just move in. An enemy of the temple, an enemy of Jerusalem, an enemy of the people of God is living in the temple. And even more so, well, we've got to make room for him. So they move out all the stuff that's supposed to be stored there. I mean, that's... If I was Nehemiah, I'd... I mean, what? That's number one. And then number two, the Levites are neglected. So bad so that the Levites who were working in the temple, they're starving to death because no one's bringing anything in. They're not storing anything. They're not giving. They have to go back to their ancestral land and start farming and start doing so they can have some sustenance. 
They're completely ignored. The people that were supposed to take care of the temple. They, people weren't bringing in the first fruits. People were not giving. People were not taking care of the people who were taking care of the temple. And then number three, they neglected the Sabbath. We have people doing work, commerce, traveling back and forth, selling, working on the Sabbath. That's not such a bad thing. No, it is a bad thing. In fact, the very reason why 70 years the Jews were put in captivity, God very clearly says, you guys ignored the Sabbath. You guys ignored the law of God and the year of rest. Every seventh year, you're supposed to let your fields be fallow. And all those, they never did it. So God said, we're going to make up for it. Seventy straight years. And they're in captivity. So that's number three. They, for, they forgot, the, they didn't do the Sabbath. And then number four, there were mixed marriages. Meaning, now listen. It's very, these were people that were marrying other people women or men, that were still holding on to the gods of their Moabites, Ammonites, the Canaanite gods. This did not include those that had married people from another country, but had become Jewish, a proselyte, as it were. How do we know this? Well, look at the book of Ruth. Okay? Ruth goes to Naomi and she says this. And she's a Moabitist. Okay? She's from Moab. But she says to Naomi, she says, Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And so she was accepted because she was totally devoted to Yahweh. It was okay then. For, to be ex- into that marriage. But we, we know that this didn't happen with these intermarried because there were children that didn't even speak Hebrew. They were, had languages of Ashtar, which is from the Philistines. And Moabite languages. They, these were kids that were growing up with, okay... The God of my mom and the God of my dad are two separate. What's going on? This is the reason why they were taken out into captivity in the first place. is because they were serving other gods. They had a jaded, mixed up, scandalous view of God. And in how many years did this take? How long was, it, how long was Nehemiah gone? I don't know. But we know for a fact it's usually about four months travel to get to land if you're, if you're heading pretty quick. But we're looking at probably a couple of years. I mean, it takes a while to move out everything out of the temple and move in someone. And he becomes pretty comfortable living there. All of these things took place. And Nehemiah's like, what happened? What happened? So what, is this, what does this mean for us today? How can, we, how can we relate to what Nehemiah is going through? 
Listen, many of you gave your heart to Jesus years ago. Decades ago. Sometimes it's take a reassessment. What? Let's, let's, let's walk back into my life, okay? What's going on? Who do I have living in my temple that doesn't belong there? Is, is there someone, something, living in your temple? Taking up space that shouldn't be there? One of the astounding things to me that just, I have to get a, do a reassessment at times. There are things that I will allow on my TV screen that I would never allow in my life. There are things that sneak in that is an enemy of my soul that somehow become a part of me. And I just shake that up. Say no. I am a follower. I am a child of light. No darkness should be in my life. And I don't know what that looks like for you. It can be any number of things. It could be Addictions. It could be someone who does not have the things of God important in their life being able to have your ear. It could be just some sort of darkness. Listen, it could be as simple as hate. There are things that I really hate. I'm like, I don't need to hate this person. My battle, and Jeremy said this, like, our battle is not with flesh and blood, right? But we tend to make them enemies. Oh, that's something that doesn't belong in my temple. Okay? Number two, who, who have we been neglecting because of our lack of giving or compassion? Is there someone that you haven't, You've been neglecting? Is there someone that needs to not be neglected? And you need to spend time, spend your money, spend your resources helping them. Like the Levites. Okay? Number three. Do you have a Sabbath in your life? Don't tell me that the Sabbath was an Old Testament law. Don't tell me that. Do you know why? Here's why I'll tell you that. What part of the Ten Commandments is negated now? Which one? They're all still in effect. And for some reason, we have decided that the Sabbath is not one of those, even though that's one of the ten. Now listen, it doesn't have to be Saturday. It doesn't have to be Sunday. The New Testament is pretty clear about this, talking about you need to be intentional in making that day a margin for you. Okay? You absolutely need to do it. Can, can the Sabbath be for me on Sunday? No, I'm working. So you know what? Jeremy and I have decided that Friday is our day off. If you come here on Friday, I won't be here. 
I'll be resting. I'll be... Hey, listen, there's enough for me to do in seven days. I can so totally work seven days a week. I could. And I'm strong enough, I could probably do it. But you know what? God says six days is enough for you. At what point do you give it to God to take care of that day? Sure, I could work that, that extra day and I could get some more stuff done. But where does God come in it? We need to rely on God to get this done, not just our own abilities. That's the key. You got it? All right. So if you don't have a Sabbath, get a Sabbath. I'm telling you. You will be grateful. You will be. All right. Number four. Who have we allowed in our inner sanct of our lives that don't have the things of God as our number one priority? Listen, we all have people in our lives. And we certainly absolutely need to have friends that are not believers to try to help them, to encourage them, to show them the way, right? But they shouldn't have that so closeness that only Christians belong together to be able to speak truth. You know? For example, if I'm having trouble in my marriage, I'm not. If I was, and I was working with a coworker, a Christian would never say, "You need to divorce her." Why? Because in a, for a Christian, they'd say, "No, marriage is a covenant before God, and you need to work it out. You need to counseling. You need to forgive one another. I mean, all the Christian principles. Someone will speak that way into you." Someone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ says, oh, she's terrible for you. Oh, you need to get rid of her. Start again. Or not ever get married again. I mean, whatever. All these different suggestions. You don't need that in your life. You need people who are going to speak truth and godly truth to you. And they just need to be the ones that are closest to you. Got it? That's why Nehemiah 13 is applicable to us. But before we launch into Esther next week, I'd like, let's look at Nehemiah. Let's just take a few minutes as we finish the book of Nehemiah. Let's look at the man himself, okay? So we can look at some patterns that we can look at in his life to help us in our own spiritual leadership wait i'm not a leader no no you are and as you mature and as you grow you're going to be asked to be a leader of somebody maybe a lot of people maybe a little bit of people maybe your children somebody and so let's look at let's look at some of these that that maybe we can glean from that specifically men as we get it close to the men's summit. Men, this is for you. No, women, you absolutely, this is absolutely applicable to you. But if there's any deficiency in the Christian church, in my humble estimation, it's men not being men of leadership in the church. Sorry. It's just the way it is. We need to stop. And we need to look at Nehemiah and see where we 
can start taking steps to being the men of God that God has called us, asked us to be. Okay? Here we go. I, I've come up with six. You may come up with more, but this is the six that I came up with. Number one, Nehemiah was a man of responsibility. As shown by his position as cupbearer, he was capable, he was trustworthy, and he was above reproach. You don't become the cupbearer because you're wishy-washy. When you say you're going to do something, you do it. And he accepted that responsibility. We need to be men of responsibility. Number two, Nehemiah was a man of vision. Now, I didn't say that he was a visionary. I said he was a man of vision. There's a difference. Listen, I'm a visionary. I see these great big things. We need to do this. And I, I launch it off. I get excited. We should do this. Now, how are we going to do it? I have no clue. You going to follow up on it? Uh, no, I cast the vision. That's enough. We need a man who's a man of vision. And that's confident in who God is. And what he can do through his servants. This is what Nehemiah was. Hey, let's build a wall around the whole city. I'll bring some timbers. He is the one who saw the walls before they were built. But he didn't just say, hey, we should build walls around there. He was a man of action, and he was a man of organizing, and he was the one who said, God can do it through us. Okay? That's a man of vision, and we need to be that way. Number three, he was a man of prayer. I mean, when you're reading the book of Nehemiah, it's just like, I'm like talking, and then, oh, God, and he just starts praying. Even in chapter 13, he's like, oh, stop, God, remember me for what I've done. He's talking to God. He's not for anybody else. He's a man of prayer. He breaks out spontaneous in prayer all the time. He did it when he was with the king. Listen, the only time I really just in spontaneous pray pray to God is when things happen like, oh God. That's not a good prayer. But we need to be men of prayer all the time. We need to be praying. And one of the things that I'm trying to do is when people ask me to pray for them, so let's pray right now. Don't say I'm going to pray and then forget and don't do it. No, let's just pray right now. Got a text this morning earlier. One member of our church said, Pray for me. I stopped what I was doing praying. I'm praying right now. You know, and also those prayers of adoration. You see something that just makes you smile, a little serendipity in your life. And, God, thank you. And that helps us to be grateful. That helps us to be always in tune of where the goodness is coming from. We need to be men of prayer. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Number four, 
Nehemiah was a man of action and cooperation. Listen, we have men that are men of action. They're not very good at cooperation. Oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Get out of my way. I'll do it. I'll do it. You know, we, we can't accomplish everything on our own. So you've got to learn to be able to be cooperative, working together as a team with people. One of the best things in my marriage was when I quit competing with my wife and started cooperating with my wife. In fact, one of the things that we say anymore now is like, we'll do something and say, yeah, we're a good team. Isn't that what we say? Yeah. It takes that for other ways. Listen, one of the things, one of the blessings about this church is you don't have just have one pastor. You have two pastors. Actually, you have three pastors. Actually, you have a fourth one now because John's in training. So, you got pastors everywhere. Throw a rock in the church, you're going to hit a pastor. But you know what? One of the things that has been hard for Jeremy and I to do because we try to be doing things is we have to cooperate with each other. We have to be humble enough to submit to each other. Oh, that is a blessing. That is not a curse. That is a blessing. And I think we're a pretty good team together. Except for the fact that he likes Clemson. All right. So, Nehemiah, he realized what had to be done, explained it to others. So, that cooperation is part of communication. He enlisted their aid. Now, remember, Nehemiah, he's a layman. He's not a priest. He's not even a Levite, I don't think. But yet, he was able to cooperate with his contemporary, Ezra, the scribe, the priest, totally holy guy. Everybody knows, oh, he knows the word. He knows the word. He does get, he's working with them side by side. We need to be the same way. Number five, Nehemiah was a man of compassion. He was moved in the book of Nehemiah to the plight of the poorer members of society. In fact, he renounced his own rights to food and allowance that goes with the governorship to be able to distribute to others. He had so much compassion and he went to the nobles who had enslaved or made servants out of their own people and said, stop, you're being greedy, relinquish them and let's live together. So he was a man of compassion. He wasn't just all about getting the job done. He was also worried about doing it the right way. And not on people's backs, but on people together who had a vested interest in the community together. Were the walls just for the noble? No, they were for everybody. Everybody. And number six, Nehemiah was a man who triumphed over opposition. He did. 
He triumphed. Why? Did he, did he take credit? He did not. He said because God had favor over us. His enemies, that he had many outside and inside Jerusalem, they tried to ridicule him. They attempted to slander him. They spread misleading messages about him. They threatened him. They attempted to harm him. But Nehemiah, through God's favor, triumphed over all of these physical, political, and demonic difficulties. You have victory in Christ. You do. We as men need to live that we have the victory. Listen, Paul says this way, if God is for me, who can be against me? I mean, people can be against you, but they're going to lose. Because if you're with God, reading God's word, I mean, if you, if you get to the back of the book, to the end, you ever do that with a book? Read the, read the end first. I never could, but I, I read, read the end. Guess what? God wins. He wins. And he'll always win. Which team want to be on? Want to be on the winning team? Want to be the losing team? You going to be on the Patriots? You going to be on the Buccaneers? <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Do you realize what is at stake by choosing Jesus? Choosing Yahweh? You've already got the victory. Ultimately, that should give you confidence to step out in faith, knowing that no matter all the mistakes you make, the stumbles in your life, the struggles you go through, ultimately, it's all going to go to for the good of those that are aligned with Jesus Christ. That's awesome. Now, go ye therefore and live that way. Does that sound good? All right. Why don't you stand? Okay, everybody's putting their stuff away. Looking. We're standing. Turn around, look at somebody who you haven't seen today. Look at them. Do a little wave. How's it going? We are all fellow believers of Jesus Christ. We are united as the body of Heights Christian Church. Say hi to someone before you leave. I know many of you, as soon as I pray, you're going to make a run for the, for the parking lot. Just pause just long enough to say hi to somebody. They may need it, okay? Father God, we come before you. Thank you so much for this book of Nehemiah. You are such a great God. Thank you for including it in your canon. You are an amazing God, and you have so much to teach us. Lord, help us to be that moldable clay that you can shape us and change us into being the people of God that you need us and want us to be that we will give you glory, that we will make your name great, that people will see our testimony and want what we have. 
God, help us to give your name a good reputation by how we act, how we live, and how we love. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to hear your word on the first day of the week. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.